Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. We are live and ready to do this thing, and this thing is talking about soccer. Yeah, I want to do that today. Let's all just sit back, relax, enjoy our coffee and our muffin, and uh, maybe you're getting off the night shift, so maybe you're ready for a drink. I don't know how that works. Uh, let's just sit back, relax, and talk some soccer. Christian Henedge will join us on this program. We're going to talk to him about some European topics, some things top of mind across the pond, including the English Premier League, certainly the Champions League. Bunch of games yesterday, bunch of games today. People getting into the knockout round. Certainly worth talking about. We may touch on the events of yesterday and the firing of Jason Christ, or with uh, or uh, that was Monday, as a matter of fact, with uh, with Christian as well. Uh, perhaps taking a look at, at CFG and their involvement in MLS and how that all is playing out at NYCFC because clearly a little bit of a different idea on how to run things with City Football Groups, uh, City Football Group than with many other MLS franchises. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's a, a new development that needs to happen in MLS to push it forward. Maybe it's just a, an outlier. Maybe it's maybe it's the wrong way. We'll talk to Christian about all of that. That's coming up in nine forty. Ahead of Christian, we'll have phone calls. Plenty of time for you to jump in on whatever is on your mind. Let's hit the news and kind of scope out some of these topics this morning. Again, the Champions League, yesterday's results. Real Madrid beating PSG 1-0 to book their advancement to the knockout round. Manchester City also threw 3-1 winners over Sevilla. They moved to the top of Group D with that victory. Gladbach 1-1 with Juve. Fabian Johnson scoring the goal for Gladbach. First American to score in the Champions League in uh, two years. Uh, Manchester United won. CSKA Moscow nothing. Wayne Rooney scoring the goal. Uh, Lindegaard set him up. Rooney scored to end United's 400-plus minute goal drought. And he moves into a tie for second place all-time at Manchester United in goal scored with Dennis Law. Second behind, of course, Bobby Charlton. Uh, these total for uh, Rooney right now, 237 goals in a Manchester United shirt. PSV 2-0 over Wolfsburg. Benfica 2-1 against Galatasaray. Astana, then the early game. No goals against Atletico Madrid. Goalless draw there. Shakhtar Donetsk for Malmo 0. All right, so you've got a bunch of games coming up today. Just taking a look at the schedule, we'll run down some of these. Uh, AS Roma um, against Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, Barcelona ho- hosting Bate Borisov. Bayern Munich hosting Arsenal, obviously. A big one there. Uh, Bayern Munich looking some, for some revenge after the uh, leg at, uh, after the first match at the Emirates. Olympiacos, Dinamo Zagreb. Chelsea and the spiraling out of control. Jose Mourinho against Dynamo Kiev. Uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv. Hosting FC Porto, Ghent hosting Valencia, and Lyon hosting Zenit St. Petersburg. So there's your Champions League schedule on a Wednesday. MLS has released its end of season award finalists for 2015. Uh, not a whole lot of surprises. The uh, the MLS MVP award named after Landon Donovan has three finalists: Benny Failhaber, Sebastian Jovinko, and Kai Kamara. Uh, AT and T Rookie of the Year. I'm not sure why I'm saying the sponsor Rookie of the Year award. Uh, Fataya Lache from the San Jose Earthquakes. Kyle Laren of Orlando City and Matt Polster of Chicago. I think Laren probably walks to a victory there. A Defender of the Year finalist Laurent Simon from the Montreal Impact. Big, uh, big offseason signing that has uh, has uh, improved Montreal's defense immeasurably. Matt Hedges from FC Dallas and Kendall Waston, who's having another good year. For the Vancouver Whitecaps, Coach of the Year finalists, Jesse Marsh, Oscar Pereja from FC Dallas, and uh, Carl Robinson of the Vancouver Whitecaps, a good trio, certainly all deserving of being on the list. And then your Comeback Player of the Year, Tim Melia, Will Trapp, Diego Valeri, Goalkeeper of the Year, Bill Hamid, David Usted, and Luis Robles. That's a good group. The only name that maybe deserves to be in the mix and is not is Stefan Fry of the Seattle Sounders. Newcomer of the Year, Didier Drogba. Big impact. Since he uh, has arrived, Sebastian Jovinko, of course, and Mike Grella of the New York Red Bulls makes that list as well. Uh, there you go. There's your MLS 2015 end-of-year award finalists. 
Grant Wall's reporting that the Houston Dynamo are actively shopping Mexican striker Eric Kubo Torres within MLS. Remember, it cost $7 million to secure Kubo's move from Chivas de Guadalajara after he returned to the parent club of Chivas USA. He burst into the league and made a, a big splash with those goals for Chivas USA in their final season. He did not score in 11 appearances for the Houston Dynamo, and it does not seem that he's a good fit with head coach Owen Coyle. Uh, whether or not Kubo can find success in MLS remains to be seen, but he's certainly a draw and a name that can bring some, um, some attention to uh, whatever club manages to bring him in. Uh, reports suggesting that Steven Gerrard could return to Liverpool this offseason have been uh, kind of undercut by a, a similar report, but uh, different that the, uh, that the former Liverpool man will go back to the club, but only to train. Uh, the Galaxy are not going to sanction a loan anyway, um, and it seems unlikely that there would actually be any sort of transfer movement uh, for a 35-year-old player going back to the Premier League. Uh, although Jurgen Klopp certainly would, uh, I'm sure, like to have Steven Gerrard's influence around the club as he makes the full transition into being Liverpool manager. Karim Benzema has been taken into custody for questioning by French authorities, investigating an attempt to blackmail French international Mathieu Valbena in a sex tape scandal. This is the second man, second uh, high-profile player to be brought into custody. The first was Jibril uh, Cisse, who was questioned last month. This is just the process for questioning of Karim Benzema. That does not mean he's been arrested necessarily. Uh, there's probably more to come. Um, Cisse was released without charge the same day that he was questioned, and Valbuena uh, said that he did not think that Jibril Cisse had anything to, uh, to do with this and uh, moving along. It's a very messy situation. Uh, Benzema right now out of action, uh, with a hamstring injury, which is why he missed Real Madrid's one nothing win over PSG yesterday. DC United Stadium project has taken a big step forward as the District of Columbia spent $25 million to acquire land uh, for the project last week. Uh, this is reported by our friend Charlie Bohm over at SoccerWire.com. The remaining land, or a, a large portion of that land, should come in the next uh, the, the next deal with uh, utility company Pepco, $39 million to secure their portion of the plot there in Buzzard Point, southeast uh, Washington, D.C. I believe that's, is it southeast or southwest? I, can, I always get confused there. Uh, but it's definitely down there at the bottom of the diamond in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, big news if D.C. United can get this done. And uh, it's tough to believe as long as the shovels aren't in the ground. We haven't seen any actual work being done on the site. That hasn't come yet. It should come soon. We can all take a deep breath knowing that D.C. United at least is putting um, their uh, their backs into getting the stadium deal done uh, for 2018, I believe, is the targeted opening for the stadium. All right, let's uh, step aside. When we come back, we'll have the phone lines open. We'll let you get in on a Wednesday morning on Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. Phone lines are now open. 646-832-3909. Due to some technical issues on our end of things, we uh, you will not be able to hear the lovely voice of one Trevor Hayward taking your phone call first, which means I'm doing this blind. So let's have some fun. Jump on in. I'll have no idea what you want to talk about or what your name is before you call, but I will get you on the air. We will get that information. And you'll have your chance. If you're normally a, uh, a YouTube watcher, you're realizing that we don't have video right now either. That's something else we're working through. Hey, these things happen. We're on the air. We're doing the show. We're recording the podcast. That's the important part. We are here for you. We are here from you. All right. 646-832-3909. Whatever is on your mind on a Wednesday, whether it is the Champions League and the Premier League and the continuing 
slow disintegration of everything that is Jose Mourinho at Chelsea Football Club. I know I had somebody on, on Twitter yesterday say, hey, I'm tired of talking about Chelsea's collapse. Let's talk about Liverpool. Because they, they're doing good right now. They're doing great. Look, look what's going on with, uh, with Jurgen Klopp. It's, and I said, okay, but sure, whatever. Let's talk about Liverpool. Chelsea's collapse and, and Jose Mourinho's just self-destruction has been going on for some time now. And it's fascinating to watch. Is there anybody who is not fascinated by what is happening to Jose Mourinho right now? It's like watching the Nazis face. This is a terrible analogy. Watching the Nazis face melt in 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 Raiders. Okay, just what it's it's this or, or no, maybe it's the aging process in the third one. <laughs> Since I'm going to use Indiana Jones, when the guy takes the wrong cup and drinks from the wrong cup, when they're looking for the <laughs> when they're looking for the the Holy Grail, and and he suddenly just ages a thousand years in like three seconds. It's it's like it's like Jose. Only it's happening very. It's something much slower than that, and it's just a it's a very interesting process to watch. Fascinating stuff to see Jose Mourinho just trip over himself, continually get in his own way, continually hurt his own cause. I mean, it's 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 the, it's obviously the Cunera thing. But it's, it's, it goes well beyond that, clearly. It goes well beyond just that, that issue with the doctor and picking that particular fight. There's something else happening right now with Joe's. And here's the thing about, obviously, look, he has a public job. He's a public figure. There are millions of people around the world who are paying attention to his every move and his every word, every decision he makes with his team. So he doesn't have the benefit of operating in anonymity. When his when something goes wrong, whether it's he gets off kilter as a person, he has a go, he goes through a bout of depression, he has something happen in his personal life. I, I'm not saying any of that is going on. I hope it's not. I hope everything's fine because I don't wish that bad stuff on people. But it does make you wonder, right? That we, it makes you it at least makes you stop and go, what what don't we know about what's going on with Jose Mourinho? Stephen Clark, he's a genius. Jose's decline is similar to Tony Montana. The sex, the success got to his head and he couldn't handle it, leading to rapid decline. I think that's probably close to it. And this is the, the fascinating thing about sports and about certainly about this, this sport, about soccer, about football, about whatever you want to call it. We get to stand here and, and psychoanalyze all these people. We get to stand here and cast judgment on Jose Mourinho and his actions and his words and how he's handling everything. Fascinating stuff. 646-832-3909. I will take your phone call. I will put you on the air and you can talk about things. Certainly uh, got some time ahead of our friend Christian Hennage, who will join us at 940 to go over certainly Jose, certainly Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp, Arsenal right now. Uh, Arsenal looking, you know, taking on, on Bayern Munich today. And that's a tough challenge. And the Champions League may be beyond them. I'm not positive. I have to go look at the math. Champions League is probably beyond them in terms of the knockout rounds. But when you look at the way that the league is shaking out right now, Arsenal and Man City tied on points 25 through 11 games. It's not a lot. It's not a large sample size. We're only dealing with um, not even a third of the season yet. Well, when you look at this situation, this may be the best chance Arsenal's had to win a title since when? I mean, how long are we talking here? How long are we talking since Arsenal's been not not just hey they're going to lurk around and they'll be in the, the they'll be in the picture and you may you may have to share you may have to express some words on their title hopes at some point come January February March, but eventually they're going to fade away. They're not going to be there anymore. They'll be fighting for fourth place and a, and a Champions League um, playoff round. I mean that that's sort of where where Arsenal's been. But here they are, again, tied at the top of the table, behind Manchester City only on goal differential, looking strong, and some of that's a fun- looking like a team that can win a title, and again, some of that's a function of the where the league is right now. Man- this is your current Premier League table. Manchester City, Arsenal, Leicester three points back, Manchester United four points back at the top spot. Then you've got Tottenham, West Ham, Southampton, 
Liverpool, Everton, Crystal Palace, top 10. I mean, we're, not, we're talking about a very wacky sort of league right now. You expected Manchester City to be there. You expected Arsenal be to, to, to be lurking near the top. You didn't expect Leicester to be in third place, even after 11 matches. You didn't expect West Ham to be inside the top five or six after 11 matches. Maybe you had Southampton there because, hey, you know what? They, they've done this. This is, the, this is not the first time they've, they've done this act. But to see them sitting in seventh, not that far back of a Champions League spot, four points back of a Champions League spot, yeah, okay, it's, it's at least interesting right now. Who knows how things will shake out? And, and of course, the, you know, the cream rises to the top. And the rich teams who have the most money and can reinforce their squads come January and can handle uh, injuries, they will probably be the best. Uh, they'll probably be the top teams at the end of the season when we look at the table. But Arsenal, might, Arsenal should be there. There's no reason Arsenal can't go for a title this year. Man, I'm just, I'm just looking at Aston Villa down at the bottom. Whew. That is rough for Aston Villa. All right, I got a phone call. This is from 540. Who's this? Hey, Jason. It's Tyler MBA. Hey, what's going on, Tyler? Not too much. Uh, just wanted to call and talk about a um, little Champions League, uh, typically uh, Arsenal. So, All right, uh, I mean, go I think, for it. I think today uh, they probably end up losing um, to Bayern. Uh, I'm going to say 3-1. Um, but at the same time, kind of like you were saying, this is probably their best chance to win the league. Um, but at the same time, I think uh, it's a, this is kind of a critical moment for them um, because they, I mean, they have a little bit better squad depth this year, but it's, it's, not, it's not on the level of a Man City uh, who are you know, pretty much their main challengers for uh, the pole position in the league right now. Uh, you look, they've got Theo Walcott out, um, Alex Oxley chamberlain out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. Uh, and it's kind of starting to be, uh, you know, the, the, the same the same narrative that we see um, from them uh, or have seen from them in years past where you've got uh, a lot of people on the, uh, a lot of people in the training room uh, injured, uh, not really enough uh, talent out there to uh, get the job done. Uh, so I think, if they can, if they can make it through this period, uh, you know, ride right up this injury wave that they've kind of been hit with uh, at this point in the year, and they've they've been able to do it thus far. Yeah. Uh, but they're down to one striker, Olivier Giroud. Uh, if he gets hurt, God help him. Um, so I think January will definitely definitely be uh, uh, another crucial moment for them because they, I think they'll have to kind of shore up that squad. Um, you know, bring in bring in a little bit more quality, a little bit more depth. I'm not saying they have to go and spend, you know. 50, 60, 70 uh, million euros or what, what have you. But there are definitely some, some places where you can, you know, uh, plug some holes and, and, and I guess get the team back in good shape to uh, finish the season strong. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems as though one of the it, – it's a key moment every year for Arsenal. Whether or not they're going to – I mean, it, it only they only started to open up the checkbook and, and spend a little bit of cash a couple of years back, right, in, in the summer. And then, yeah. But then it becomes, okay, well, are they making the right decisions? You can spend money, but you've got to be making the right decisions. You've got to have the, the, the guys that fit best into your setup and are going to cover, again, for those places where you're thin. As you said, if Olivia Giroud goes down, what happens then? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly have no idea. Um, I, I mean, I think they, um, they have several youth players in the squad for this uh, Bayern match or in the 18. So that, that just goes to show you where they are right now in terms of injuries, uh, you know, just the general overall health of the squad. I mean, they've got, I would say, 11, 12, 13 guys who, uh, you know, I would feel comfortable or put, or put my faith in, you know, their ability to get the job done. But after that right now, I mean, it, it, it doesn't look, Oh, it doesn't look too too good for them. Yeah, you know what's 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 interesting about this discussion, Tyler, is is the Euro, the the European element. I mean, they're going to probably lose to Bayern. Okay, I think we're all we we wouldn't be surprised if they lose to Bayern. Of course, um, and I mean they're they're good enough to maybe surprise everybody. But if they lose, that keeps them rooted to the bottom of the uh, of of the group, right? Uh, depending on what happens yeah. with Olympiacos and and. And uh, Dino Zagreb, because if Zagreb beats Olympiacos, then then Arsenal is definitely bottom. But if Zagreb loses, yeah. then you know there, there's a chance here. Um, you know, do they do they even want if they can't make it into the knockout round of the Champions League? 
Do they even want to continue in Europe? Do they even want to? Do they, would they care at all? Would Arsenal be a, a club that if they finished in third, would actually put anything into the Europa League at all? Would that not be a distraction from whatever they're trying to do in the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, I think every Premier League team feels the exact same way about the Europa League. Uh, they see it as a waste of time. Um, I would not be surprised to see uh, Arsenal kind of treat it. Uh, like they used to do uh, the League Cup a few years ago where, you know, uh, they would put these 18, 17, you know, whatever, these young guys out there and just say, hey, you know, this is this is your chance to get some experience. Uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. You know, they're not going to – they're certainly not going to risk uh, yeah. any of the important players. I mean, uh, I think they just lost in the League Cup uh, a week ago, a week and a half ago or so, and, you know, they had uh, some young guys out there on that day. Yeah. Uh, so it – you know, they, they're not, I don't think they're going to completely just take it and just, you know, send a squad out there that has no business being out there. You know, there, there will always be a couple of guys, like maybe a Stan, Santi Cazorla one day or, or a Theo Walcott, you know, one day, which is ironically how he and Oxley Chamberlain got hurt. But, um, yeah, so they're not going to completely just, you know, give up. But at the same time, you're not going to see, you're not going to see um, the entire first choice uh, Arsenal squad out there in, in, in the Europa League. Uh, I mean, shoot, I mean you don't you don't see that with Tottenham. Yeah. You know, I mean, you didn't see it with Liverpool when they were in the Europa League uh, because it's, it really is too much of a strain. I mean, they, they play on Thursday, so you're talking about Thursday, playing on Thursday and, and you know some crazy far destination in Europe, and then having to come back and face you know that grueling, grueling Premier League schedule. Um, I just, I, I think it's pretty unrealistic. Um, I, and I'm, I mean, I'm personally fine with that. I don't know about yeah. you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's, uh, if I was an Arsenal fan, I think I'd like them to handle it that way, probably. Uh, appreciate the phone call, Tyler. Got other people trying to get in. Right. Good stuff Thanks. on Arsenal with uh, Tyler from Virginia. All right, let's uh, let's check in with this seven one seven. Who's this? Hi, this is Patrick from Clemson, South Carolina. Hi, Patrick from Clemson. What's going on? Uh, not much. Uh, I wanted to ask what you think of the current uh, MLS playoff format. Uh, I mean, do you think uh, MLS would be better off going to one leg, uh, you know, conference games uh, besides just doing it for the playing games as they do now? Well, I think I it mean, would be more fun. Uh, Patrick, it would be more fun for us, more dramatic it, it for, would. for us. And, but, I but, mean, the but, other concern that we've okay, go ahead. run into the past several years is that MLS Cup always ends up being on the date that a ton of big football games are going on. The same weekend that big football games are going on because college football has, you know, their uh, usually their conference final games or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, you're running into a day where, you know, NFL season's really getting into the thick of it. So you may have a lot more people turning eyes there. You know, if you had a one leg, you may avoid some of that, you know, get more attention if MLS Cup was a couple weeks beforehand. Plus, you know, running into the international dates in November is also an issue. Yeah, uh, you know, the international date coming up now, uh, so we're going to get uh, the second leg of the conference semifinals, and then we're going to take a big, uh, a real big break here. We're going we're gonna to wait to get into the conference finals. And I don't, I don't like that. I mean, I think you're, you're dealing with, um, you're killing momentum that way. Uh, I, I I don't know, Patrick, if there's ever going to be a weekend after September where you kind of go, oh, let's, you know, this weekend is one where we can sort of avoid some big football. There's always going to be big football. I no, mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. I just think it would be to a lesser extent if they May, maybe, but I, but with I, one I, game. I think MLS, but is, I guess, I think MLS's yeah. approach, Patrick, on that front is if we start worrying too much about individual weekends, which one is slightly less bad than the other ones. If we just don't do our thing and run our games and our on our competition the best of our ability, then then you know we're not doing ourselves any favor. We're not doing our product any favor in the long term. Now again, it's sort of like you know, do you do you try to capitalize on something in the moment, um, or do you have this notion of just you know doing what you would do in a vacuum without these influences? I think that's a difficult question for them. I do think that that going knockout round, two legs, two legs, one off final is weird. I, I think that's weird. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, um, do you? What do you think about uh, the away goals rule for the final? Because 
even when, a couple of years ago, it's still two legs. I much preferred uh, having two leg series with no away goals rule. I, I felt like it was much more tense in those games. And plus, I feel like there are too many instances of games where, you know, in the second leg, the visiting team gets two goals, and then that's just too much for the home team to overcome. Yeah. Kind of yeah. killing the momentum in that game. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I'm not sure. I, I you know, the, the way it goes rule is, is, I'm not a fan of it in, in, in general terms. Um, I think, I think, you know, you, you probably would get a little bit more excitement out of games if they if they didn't have to the teams didn't have to worry about the away goal and because if you it, it, it this is the same thing that happened with with the golden goal right you in concept you go wait you go and you score and you win the game right there sudden death that sounds amazing let's do that but of course because it's soccer and because if going forward opens you up at the back teams are automatically locked down into this conservative mode where we we care more about not conceding than we do about going and getting the goal and winning because it's easier to defend it's easier to sit back we're not we're not going to open ourselves up here so i think the away goal has that effect as well sometimes so i'm with you on that i i i I want mls to find a and here's the problem what is the good format i want them to find a good format patrick and i want them to stick with it I want to stop with well. This year we're going to tweak it this way, and that next year we're going to have it's it's ten teams now. It's going to be twelve teams next year. It's going to be eighteen teams in five years. We're going to have um, you know maybe even and and look, there are smart people out there who have um, who have suggested a sort of God a a sort of um, like like almost like a group stage situation first, and then go into uh you know then go into knockout games, and that sounds great. That sounds fun, like a mini World Cup in MLS. It sounds great, but just if we keep changing all the time, no one's ever going to get comfortable and and sort of enjoy this, and we're not going to create patterns of of behavior and enjoyment around these games. We're not gonna you know when and I know Major League Baseball's made some tweaks, but generally speaking, you know what's going to happen. It's uh, okay. We got a seven game series here, and then. The NFL, you know how these games work, and the wild cards and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, MLS just it, it changes too much for me. Yeah, I definitely agree on that front. Patrick, so. appreciate the phone call, man. Mm-hmm. Good Thanks, Steve McCall. There goes Patrick and Clemson, home to the number one football team in the country, not soccer, the other kind of football. Let's go to 414. You're on the air. Hey, David, I, I would agree to an extent, but uh, I, I like... Uh, I, I kind of like the format, how it's set up right now. Uh, okay. and, and I just like to say that that opening round of games were highly entertaining. Uh, and, you know, I think any time, but, you know, the problem is D.C. United is going to play the way D.C. United plays, whether it's a one game or a two game. So, you know, sure, some of it's but, just sure, that's what but it I, could but I, be. But I, I don't, okay. I, I do think that there's going to be some... You're going to change a uh, team's tactics and strategies a little bit with a two-legged series. You just are. And maybe DC United will play the same way, but not everybody else would play the same way if it was a if there was no away goals. Now, if there was a one-off situation, I mean, who knows? But as you said, we got a ton of entertainment out of those knockout round games in the middle of the week. I'd like to see that keep going. Right, and I would just like to say that uh, that. I think MLS fans complain too much about uh, when these games are on and what channels these on. They're on. Uh, they should just be happy that they're on. I mean, this is an extremely competitive uh, month for all sports, and unless there's a schedule change, you're going to run into all these problems. Uh, and all I'm saying is that uh, for the people that complain for it being on Univision, you need to look at the television numbers in America and realize that this is the channel that gets the highest ratings for soccer. You need to be a, you need to have competitive games on this network yeah. if you truly want to expand this game into the viewership fan base of America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you look at the television ratings on World Soccer Talk, they showcase, on average, Univision and ESPN literally tied for viewership average. 
and Fox Sports 1 finished last in this year's contract. And I really think they finished last because they are the least diverse out of all the networks that cover soccer. Yeah, I'm with you. I understand. I think it's difficult sometimes for fans to to look at it from all of these perspectives. I mean, they, they they want to see the games, and they want to see the games as easy as they're used to seeing other sports. They they imagine soccer and MLS. Um, you know, they, 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 they imagine that it needs to be the NFL or, or basketball or whatever. It, it needs to be in those same sort of considerate, uh, like it needs to have the same sort of considerations and be scheduled the same way. Like, like, like it doesn't have to, to, you know, to try to get to someplace bigger and better. I, I just think it's difficult for, especially now, 20 years in, uh, a generation of people who don't remember when there was no soccer on television or remember when MLS had to pay ESPN to get some broadcast time. Right, I would agree, but I, all I'm saying is uh, how many tweets and how many calls did you get about the lack of diversity on Fox, but yet we complained about, uh, I personally think Univision has the best setup because mm-hmm. it's on one channel and for everybody. Uh, and if you look at every American sport now, uh, there's SAP available. Uh, for literally every program that's, you know, I can watch NBA, NFL, uh, you know, on a secondary language now anyways. So I don't what people complain about. Like, this is America. This is the way it's going to be. There's nothing new. Like, Univision isn't doing anything out of the norm when it comes to uh, broadcasting major sporting events. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I appreciate the phone call. It's a a interesting discussion about how to – you know, and and I just think that you know we we have a we have a league that's trying to to bring in some revenue from television that hasn't been a thing before. They finally get a little bit of revenue from television, and we're all complaining about the games being on Unimos and you having to switch over to SAP or maybe it's not work or watching in Spanish. I mean, just really like like uh, this is very much looking looking a gift horse in the mouth in a lot of ways for for MLS fans. It seems like. Never, there's never going to be anybody satisfied, at least for even a moment. It's very strange. All right, I, I definitely want to talk about this. Okay, maybe we can do. Well, we got a couple of minutes here, and the phone lines are still open. Six four six eight three two thirty nine zero nine. Alex Oshansky, over at um, Tempo Free Soccer, who is uh, a stats guy, does does good uh, statistical breakdowns of, of soccer has a, a very interesting graphic uh, on his Twitter page right now. ATO Soccer. MLS in 2015, teams by the number of turnovers per game, home versus roads. This is a differential, I imagine. This is, yeah. Uh, sorry, here's the tweet. Turf grass is highly significant on style of play as measured by turnover per game, home road differential. Every team that plays on artificial surfaces is in the top seven in MLS in terms of turnovers, turnover differential between home and road. Portland Timbers are number two in the league, 16.1. New York City FC actually leads this, and yeah, they played on grass. They played on a tiny little field, and they were a bad expansion team. Okay, so that's the smallest field in the league having an impact on an expansion team, 18.1. But then it goes Portland, field turf, Orlando City, AstroTurf, New England Revolution, field turf, Seattle Sounders, field turf, Philadelphia, just a bad team, Vancouver Whitecaps, Polytan, which I didn't know was their stuff, but that's what they have, Polytan. It, it, I understand the realities in some, case, in some cases about why artificial surfaces are in place. But it's time, because of this very fact, because of the impact it has on how teams play and how the game looks and all of those quality issues that we continually talk about with MLS. MLS needs to get better if it's going to get more people watching. Okay, get rid of the turf. We can start moving in that direction. At some point, MLS teams like the Portland Timbers like I guess the Vancouver Whitecaps to a lesser extent, although what are you gonna do? You're playing inside a you're playing in a in a domed building. 
Well, certainly Portland. Orlando's Orlando's going to have real the real stuff at their new stadium, right? Am I am I right about that? I hope that's true. I, I don't I don't remember exactly. We know the Revs just don't care enough to really go after their the stadium anywhere else in the Boston metropolitan area, even though they should. And hopefully, if they do, and they finally get something done, they use grass because that will help. The Sounders are the Sounders. They play in a gigantic NFL building. They play on turf. And every time I watch a game with the Seattle Sounders, I get angry. I get angry that a team with that much talent has to play that kind of soccer. Boing, boing, boing. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take a soccer adept to recognize that when a game is happening on that turf at Century League Field, there are more turnovers. I mean, here's the numbers to back it up, but there are more turnovers because why? Because the ball does it, because the ball moves so quickly, because the ball bounces, because every pass is mismeasured, because players are trying to figure out exactly how, st- how this stuff's going to move. And it leads to 50 50s. It leads to, to misplaced passes. Stuck in with 3 2 3 before we get to Christian Hennage in a couple of minutes. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, Jason. This is Robert. Hey, Robert, what's on your mind? What's going on, dude? I want to talk about the, the playoffs and, uh, who are you uh, who are you taking for the next the, the second leg? Um, well, I think uh, I, I got the Red Bulls. I don't think I'm going out on a limb there, am I? Um, let's see. I've got the Red Bulls finishing off DC United at Rebel Arena. Um, I, I mean, I really want to pick Columbus. I really do, but I but I think Montreal is gonna gonna find a way to get that done. So I'll take I'll take New York, Montreal. Uh, I'm gonna take I'm I'm gonna take Seattle against my better ju- against some of my better judgment. I have the, I had Seattle winning MLS Cup this year, so um, so I'm gonna pick Seattle to beat FC Dallas, and I'll I'll take Portland, I'll take Portland to beat Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver's a little iffy on the road. I mean uh, at home even so, uh, and and you know Portland's feeling good about themselves even if that was a goalless draw last weekend. So let's uh, New York, Montreal, Seattle, Portland. That means we got a. A Seattle, a Seattle Portland Western Conference final, which would be hella fun. Robert, yes, that would be interesting. Yes, go ahead because I got to run. You got to. I was gonna say you think. All right, all right. I was gonna say. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a very exciting, uh, especially with, with these away goals. Hopefully, it'll be more entertaining soccer. And I don't know if you got the tweet I sent you about the how uh, you know how they do playoffs in uh in Europe. And hopefully, it'll be something exciting like that. Yep, I appreciate the call, Robert. Got to run. Good stuff from Robert in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, we'll check his tweet here in a minute. All right, let's take a break. Let's step aside. Let's get ready for our friend Christian Hennage, who will join us in just a couple of minutes to talk about the Premier League, the Champions League, City Football Group, and their interests in the United States. Soccer Morning on a Wednesday, worldsoccertalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. Joined now via transatlantic phone line, so just keep that in mind should anything fail by Christian Hennage who joins us. Uh, I, see, I hear some clacking or something. What's going on, Christian? How are you? I'm not too bad, mate. How are you? Uh, doing well. All right. So we've got a lot to talk about. We do have a potential wonky phone line. Who knows? You never know. You just have to to roll with it. Uh, let's start with the Let's start with the Premier League, Christian. Uh, you and I haven't had a chat about the league in, in a little bit here. And as things have fleshed out, themselves out over the course um, of the first eleven matches, we continue to see the com- the collapse of Chelsea Football Club and, and especially Jose Mourinho. And today, someone on Twitter compared it to Tony Montana going crazy and ultimately destroying himself. And that's what it feels like. It feels like Jose is a, is a, an active participant in his own destruction, Christian. Well, I think it would be fair to say that first Chelsea got the money and then they got the power. So, yeah, in, in many ways, I guess it does uh, compare itself to, to Tony Montana. What I would say is that you're seeing someone that is clearly under a lot of pressure. And I think the concerning thing is, is that he doesn't seem too bothered with trying to right the ship at the moment. 
we're seeing someone that doesn't seem to have much care for what decisions he's making in the public. He seems very flustered. I don't think he seems as composed when he gives interviews at the minute. And equally, I think the quote that's almost haunting him right now is, is the one attributed to an unnamed player, saying that they, they'd rather lose with him because that, that's been the cornerstone of, of Jose Mourinho. And we've talked about this many times, that actually he's forged the idea of it being them against the world. And I think the second you have dissent in the camp, that's when really Mourinho's main, I would say, tactic or cornerstone starts to crumble around him. And that's why I think eventually almost every club he's been at, it gets to the point where he's no longer sustainable. And it tends to happen in the third year. And I think that's why if you look at his career, it's lots of two, two, three-year bursts at most because he can't really achieve it over the long term because you need to almost keep a steady stream of players moving in and out. You also need to forge long-term relationships. And I just don't think Mourinho can do that. It's it's um, it's now to the point where we are talking naturally about whether or not he's going to be sacked in the morning, and it depends on which, uh, which day we're talking about, of course. Uh, but I've seen reports that say, oh, he's got two matches to figure it out. Um, why, why do you believe Abramovich has held off to this point? Because I think, uh, you know, in, in a lot of clubs, even even big clubs, small clubs, middle road clubs, the, the manager's gone already. Hmm. I, th- I think there's a loyalty there. Um, I mean, you know, you look at the statistics, they're down across the boards. The only one that's risen is, is the amount of goals conceded per game. I think it's gone from 0.8 to 2.4, which will concern Abramovich. I also think there is something of a, an admiration there and an appreciation because, you know, Mourinho did deliver a lot for Chelsea. He, he brought them their first title. I think he elevated them to a high position in English football in a figurative sense. He didn't deliver the Champions League title that, that both men desperately wanted, but I think he did a lot for them. And I think, as a consequence, Abramovich just does have this feeling for him because he did bring him back, remember. He didn't have to. He could have gone with someone else, but he, he wanted him back. And I think that suggested that the relationship that was once broken between the pair had fixed itself. And as a consequence of that, I think he wanted to give him every opportunity to succeed and, and still trying to, to give him every opportunity to succeed. With that said they need to be in the Champions League year on year. And we saw how detrimental that was to Manchester United when they didn't finish in the Champions League under David Moyes. So he's, he's going to give him every opportunity. And I think a further two games pretty much takes it there. Already, statistics aren't with them in the sense that no team with their starters finished higher than seventh. So he's going to have to defy history in many ways to, to achieve what's needed. I just think they need a fixer, personally. They, they need a good hitting type. The problem is that I can't see uh, a great wealth of, of that type of manager who'll come in and, and do an eight-month or a, you know, seven-month stint at the football club. Well, and Chelsea has a history of turning to what is not... The, managers who aren't necessarily fancied to do much and, and certainly don't have that same sort of profile. Um, and obviously, we're talking about... Um, uh, we're talking about Roberto Di Matteo, and uh, and I'm, I'm blanking on the other the other gentleman who took this team um, somewhere once. Oh gosh, uh, it'll come back to me here in a minute, Christian. But it be, regardless, Chelsea has a history of moving on from Jose Mourinho before. Uh, they'll probably do so again. When we when we look at the the state of the league, Chelsea in 15th place. That's the most striking thing. But there's other there are other stories here. And in fact, I had somebody on Twitter tell me, "Stop talking about Chelsea." I've had enough of this crisis. Then he fully admitted that he's a Liverpool fan and said, please talk about Liverpool. So, And obviously Liverpool beat Chelsea this past weekend, heaping woe on Chelsea and giving Jurgen Klopp his first win in the league. What, what does that mean for him? I think, in general, Chelsea are a team that have cycled through managers. We look at maybe the start of 2009. They've had the likes of Scolari, Ancelotti, Villas-Bosti, Matteo, Benitez, Mourinho. I think they've almost bred a habit for a lack of consistency and a lack of long-term thought. Even Manchester United now are trying to give uh, Louis van Gaal some consistency. They're trying to build a manager long-term and they're looking at the long-term vision. Liverpool are doing the same. Arsenal have done the same. Every other notable team that's challenging for the the title is trying to build something long-term. And I think they wanted to do the same with Mourinho. The problem is he's not built for that. 
mm-hmm. as we've touched on. And that's the biggest issue is that, you know, you can't get someone who has spent his entire career in these short bursts at clubs to then change. And I think certainly Mourinho wanted to do that. I think if, if you look how much he admires Sir Alex Ferguson, you're looking at someone there who wants to build the same thing. He hasn't got the patience for it, though. He hasn't got the patience to rear young talent. He hasn't got the patience to, to know who to cut and when to cut. And I think he's very impulsive in that sense. And we see that now coming to the fore consistently with the Eva Carnera situation, with a host of situations with him in the media. And that impulsiveness is essentially what's killing him and killing Chelsea in the, the same instance. Uh, so let's talk about Liverpool then. Let's talk about Jurgen Klopp. Let's talk about that, that victory and... Um... Uh, what what Jurgen Klopp has gotten right so far? Because it it, it didn't it wasn't like he, he burst out of the gates necessarily, Chris. Didn't he? he was going to take some time to get settled and, and figure out the the rhythm and his his how his style of play was going to affect this team. How are all those things uh, connecting right now? I think they they're going at a nice pace. Is what I would say. As you touched on there, they didn't burst out the block, but the subtle changes he has made have had a, a significant impact. And what I would say is that. This high-pressure style, the, the Gagan pressing that is kind of so often touched on, I think what that's done for Liverpool is it's allowed them to get their better, more attacking players in the kind of positions they weren't getting in under Brendan Rodgers. I don't think Liverpool are a team set up to play through someone. I think what they are is a team that work best with space and one-on-one situations. The likes of Coutinho, Firmino, these guys who want to dribble and want to carry the ball, they weren't being given the best opportunities under Brendan Rodgers. With Jurgen Klopp, because they're playing this high pressure, and I've noted it a few times against uh, Tottenham, and also to a lesser extent against Chelsea, with that high pressure, there's a strong chance that they're going to win the ball back with their opposition quite disjointed and quite strewn across the pitch. And what that means is the second they get the ball back, they're able to then transition into the attack and there's space for them to exploit. There's space for guys like Coutinho to move into, for me, you know, opportunities for Ben Teke to peel off. And that in itself allows them to maximise the, the athleticism and the speed that they've got. And I think that's why this pairing between Klopp and Liverpool, it is a very good fit because if there's one thing I think we can note about Dortmund is that they used pace very well. At the peak, it was the likes of Blakowski, uh, Royce, Lewandowski, these players who would move quickly into space and really just steamroll a team to the point where the opponent didn't have time to adjust. And for me, that's going to be an important facet of, of Liverpool moving forward. The only concern I have for them is that when the lesser teams they face maybe give them the ball and say, break us down, because that was an issue for Klopp towards the end of his time at Dortmund, was that instead of teams looking to try and take the ball and then letting that Gagan press essentially suffocate them and lose the ball, they just stood off and they asked Dortmund to dictate things and they struggled. Now, I would say that he's got the exact ability to work through that. I think he's he's got enough in his locker. I've spoken to players who worked under him and they said he has that adaptability. And so that, for me, would be the, the best case study for Liverpool right now is to see how they operate when they're expected to leave the game because I don't really think they have done uh, or have been asked to, excuse me, just right now. Fair enough. Um, you look, when you look at the, the the table very quickly before we move on to some Champions League topics, uh, Christian, uh, Manchester City and Arsenal at the top had a discussion with somebody about Arsenal today, wondered if it might not benefit Arsenal not to be in the Europa League, and, and certainly if they get there, how, how seriously would they take it if they end up dropping down into that competition? They've got Bayern Munich today. They could, they could save things today, but you know, I think the odds are certainly against them. Because they have this, the, they have the league in front of them. Okay, City may be a challenge, but we've seen City go through serious dips. And if if Arsenal is going to get back to the top and win another title after however long it's been, uh, what thirteen years, then then they're going to they're going to have to put everything they've got into that competition. Is that where it sits right now for the Gunners? Definitely. What I would say, if I'm an Arsenal fan, is Olympiacos and Dinamo Zagreb are not Europe's elite. So if you can get anything from Bayern Munich, even a point, then there's every chance you can still go to Olympiacos and get something. In terms of the Europa League, if if that's where they do finish, I would argue Chelsea didn't take it that seriously and managed to win the thing, which, you know, rightly or wrongly, was another trophy to add to the cabinet. And in the case of, of Arsenal, we talk about 
their history, their lack of trophies recently, bar FA Cups. Winning any kind of silverware is good for the mentality. It's good for the, the aura of the club. And it will be a, a, an important experience for a lot of those Arsenal players in terms of European competition because I think sometimes they've become quite timid. And particularly against the lesser sides, I think they've almost operated with a big club mentality that wasn't able to get big club things done. So going into that Europa League, you are the big fish in the pond. And in that sense, it, it could be important for them in terms of getting rid of the complacency and a lot of the issues that I think have, have dogged them in the Champions League in recent seasons. I would like to think they take it very seriously. Mm. I also think Wenger is, is a man principled enough to take it seriously. Okay. And as bizarre as this sounds, if, if I'm thinking kind of bigger picture, I'd be tempted to say dropping into the Europa League this season and then really going for it and trying to win it not only gets you in the Champions League, which is great, I think it serves a lot of benefits to the point where I'd be tempted to say that's probably the better route for them. Oh. As bizarre as that sounds, to say that actually going out of the Champions League now is a better option for Arsenal, I'd be tempted to say that is, as, as much as I'm sure Arsenal fans are ready to start writing oh. really angry letters. <laughs> Uh, it's an interesting situation for Arsenal there. There's uh, some other storylines in the Premier League, but I want to I want to touch on the Champions League because I definitely want to get to CF uh, to CFG and their leadership at NYCFC. So in in in, the, in terms of the Champions League, we see City go through um, to the knockout round with a win over Sevilla yesterday, taking care of business the way they they did in that match. And I admit that I don't I didn't watch it, so I'm not sure how simple it was for them. Has to be a big step for, for this club, again, who has won titles, but have fa- found themselves hitting a ceiling when it comes to, the cha- comes to the Champions League, Christian? It's not been a competition they've enjoyed across the board. Of late, they have picked up. I think the curious thing for me last night was Jemen Kopianki said that the Premier League was for people who were two and a half metres tall and blessed with a poor touch. <laughs> I'm curious now, in, in hindsight, whether that result reinforces that or it puts it under a lot of scrutiny. Because I thought, certainly, there was a physical element to City. I don't think Sevilla were able to handle Yaya Toure, uh, and it was very much a, a vintage performance from him in that sense. I just think they played with freedom. And it's no surprise that they did that away from the Etihad. And that's not a critique or a criticism of City fans. I think, certainly, that there's a, a justified expectation from the club and the supporters, given the money they've spent. I also think that sometimes a home ground can be quite uh, mentally taxing and quite mentally constraining and we look at the results they've had at the Etihad, the likes of the CSK Moscow won last year, the defeat to Juventus, I think they've put themselves under a lot of needless pressure the City players and so getting away from that, being able to just play with a, a freedom I think really benefited them and certainly they, you know, they managed to scrape through the Etihad last time out but it was a totally different performance this time around and I think if they can almost take the confidence from last night and apply it to the home games, you'll see a totally different side because tactically I think they're a lot more fluid. Uh, the likes of Sterling is, is starting to come into his own, starting to be a bit more clinical with his finishing, which I, I understand he's working on in training. And those are the, the little pieces that will click together to make a bigger picture for, for City. And it's come at the perfect time because, let's be honest, we've, we've criticised European performances already uh, this season. And it needs to stop because, again, they have ambitions that are to win that competition. And to do that, you really need to, to put stuff together in the group stages at least and look like a, you have the semblance of a decent team. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Arsenal and their, uh, their Champions League campaign. Obviously, uh, Bayern Munich today for, uh, for the Gunners. That's a, a difficult one. But as you said, maybe a point puts them in a position to try to get uh, into the knockout round. Meanwhile, Chelsea goes up against uh, Dynamo Kiev. And uh, that one, you know, again, Chelsea in the, in the situation that they're in, Christian, what, what can we really expect out of them? How, how difficult do you imagine it is for, for Chelsea to get up for this match and, and deal with this Champions League um, group and attempting to go into the knockouts, which is the standard, certainly, for Chelsea, while at the, at the same time they see the table and they, they sit there in 15th place? I think you have to focus on the game in front of you. That's also a lot easier said than done. And they'll note the fact that Porto, I think it, I think Porto are through at this point. They're not mathematically through, of course. I also see them picking up points against Tel Aviv tonight. And Maccabi Tel Aviv, excuse me. 
<clears throat> the problem for Chelsea is now is that momentum is against them in the sense that we talk about the teams that win competitions consistently, about building that momentum, about gaining that continuity of, of performance. It can also go the opposite way when you're losing games. And right now, it doesn't seem as if Chelsea are playing with any of the sharpness or the vibrancy that we associated with them last year when they collected the title. In terms of that Dinamo Kiev side, they're a very talented side. I think we saw that in the, the, the last game that these two played. Certainly, Chelsea were lucky not to have a penalty. And it, it's almost those fine margins that I think are defining Chelsea right now. Yeah. If they get that penalty, for example, they win that game. They're now ahead of Dynamo Kiev in the table. And things look a little bit less scary than they do right now. Because let's be very blunt about this. Chelsea need to win tonight. They need to get those three points. They need to go above Kiev just so that they're not panicking going into the last two games. If they can get those fine margins right, yeah. and admittedly, some of them will, will relate to the referee, which I'm sure Jose Mourinho is, is <laughs> delighting in hearing a, a journalist say that, then they'll be okay. It's just about getting the performance right, though, first. Starting at the back, good defence builds good offence. That's something Jay Heap says, and it's something I, I firmly believe in. And at the minute, their defence isn't good. Mm. And it's a surprise to say that about a Mourinho team, because the 1-0 result was something he made famous during his first spell. And it's really what they need right now. And, and I remember him once saying in a press conference that 1-0 is the easiest result in football. And with that said, he needs to take the easy way out tonight, undeniably. Uh, Manchester United won nothing yesterday over CSK in Moscow. Um, Wayne Rooney uh, moves into a tie for second place uh, all time in Manchester United goals to Dennis Law. And, and they get a goal finally after 400 plus minutes, Christian. Yeah, it wasn't the prettiest. I mean, in fairness to Rooney, it's a landmark one for him in that sense. He's, he's got 37 goals in, in European competitions, which I think only Van Nistelrooy has more with, with 38. Again, it puts him alongside Dennis Law as well. I think that's his 237th goal for Man United. So he's continuing to make history in amongst all the criticism and the questions about his future. I still think he looks a bit awkward, personally, in that leading role. I'd be tempted to put him a little bit deeper and see what he can do because he's always been a player that's liked to come deep. He's always been a player that's liked to create, particularly as he's got older. He's been someone that's wanted to be more influential in, in the development of the attack rather than just finishing it off. And I think that's an inner conflict he struggled with at times is, is what am I in that sense? Am I a number nine or am I a number 10? And he's thrived at a number nine, but right now he's not. So I think when you've got someone who, who has that flexibility give him a try in the other position. Because I think the longer you put him in there, the more you make him a scapegoat, the more you make him a figure of fun. And that's not really fair to the man because he's done a lot for that football club. He's achieved a lot for that football club. And right now, I also think Martial offers more up front. I think he gives him speed, the ability to stretch a defence. And that would fall back then into Rooney because I think it would open space for him. And at the minute, I think Wayne Rooney needs that space. In those tight, compact areas when he's having to run onto the ball, things like that, he's not really succeeding because I think there's a little bit of a, a heavy leg to him. I also think there's a mental stress that he's putting on himself. So put him in the best position to succeed. Now, the problem is that Louis van Gaal simply isn't doing that. And in almost a quite stubborn approach, it's just leaving him as the number nine. And I, I don't think that's helping him. And I also don't think it's helping Manchester United. All right, let's, uh, let's turn now to the situation in New York. Uh, Jason Kreiss out as uh, NYCFC head coach after just one year, Christian. Um, uh, you know, over here, the sense seems to be that they've, uh, that they've gotten a little uh, reactionary, that they've moved a little too quickly to, to oust Kreiss, that they didn't give enough time to support. Um, it was obviously sort of a dysfunctional system in year one. They, they, they brought in all this big-name talent, but that didn't necessarily fit the club. Uh, and, and, and I think the, the general's consensus is he got a raw deal. I've seen some people say, hey, he didn't meet the goals. It doesn't matter. This is a good fire or this is the right thing to do. Is, is this, for me, I think this is more about the, the mentality that City Football Group brings to MLS. Mm. I, I think you're spot on there. They've come with a European mentality, NYCFC, in the sense that, let's take Ben Olsen, for example. I remember when he had that really atrocious year. I think they finished bottom uh, of, of the league, of the, the overall league. And I, I want to say they won three games all season. And it was a really tough watch. And I remember thinking at the time, there's no way he stays past this year. And you look at it now, and he, he's taking them into a playoff game at the weekend, albeit 1-0 down from the first leg, but he's yeah. still there. 
because he was given the time to grow, he was given the time to develop. I would argue Jason was in a similar position in the sense that he hasn't really worked with stars on the level of Pelo, Lampard and Beer at Real Salt Lake, and that's no disrespect to those players. It is the truth. There was going to be an adjustment period. There was also going to be players that they signed that didn't work out, the likes of Adam Nemec, for example. That first season, he had to get almost everything right to truly succeed, added to the fact he didn't have Lampard for a long period. He also had to try and then mesh Lampard and Pirlo into the team, knowing that their weaknesses were exactly the same, in the sense that a lot of teams would only take one of those players and then overcompensate with physical midfielders, as, as Juventus used to do with Vidal and Pogba surrounding Pirlo. He was blessed with a lot of obstacles to overcome. I also question if he handled Quadro Poku the best way, because there for me was a player that really should have been playing more football, but was kind of slowly introduced. And I just thought he didn't, he didn't have the, the results to slowly introduce Poku. He needed to, to be playing him more often because the guy was a game changer <clears throat> and he was someone that could stretch things. And I think when you've got Lampard and Pirlo, it helps sometimes to stretch the game a little bit because I don't think there's as much of a rigid tactical approach in, in Major League Soccer compared to the European game that, Lampard and Pirlo came from. I see why they've sacked him. I also see little benefit in bringing in someone like Patrick Vieira or Fabio Capello because I don't think they understand the, the infrastructure of Major League Soccer. I don't under, think they understand the, the quite detailed and at times complicated rules. I can't imagine Fabio Capello wanting to attend a blind draw, for example. Right. <laughs> they need to find someone that will work with this club and understand the pressure that they're under. There aren't many candidates I can think of, to be truthful, and we always play this game when a manager is sacked. Who will take the spot? Ziggy Schmidt, health concerns aside, I hope Ziggy gets better soon, would possibly be a good fit because he's worked with Dempsey, he's worked with Martin, so he can handle the big personalities. He's also now bringing Seattle, it seems like, closer to that MLS Cup final that they are so desperate to get to. There's a good shout. Now, in fairness, I know Jason won't be short of, of offers. And I also think he handled the whole situation with supreme class. Mm-hmm. And as he rightly said, fortune favours the bold. And this was a huge opportunity for him yeah. to really build something and build his name. And <clears throat> arguably get himself an even bigger opportunity, mm-hmm. which I think is, is what he was striving to do. And, you know, as he said in his statement, fortune does favour the bold. He, he's it's going, just finding that replacement. Right. He's going to land on his feet. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, certainly he's enough of a commodity in, a commodity in MLS in a league that has been, um, you know, turning over some, some uh, turn, going through some retreads at the coaching positions for a while now, needs, you know, obviously he, he had success at RSL. People know he can run a club. When it comes to NYCFC, and, and I guess that's the, the, the conundrum here, and this is what exactly what, you, what we mean by European mentality, Christian, it's you didn't meet our goals, we're firing you. Who do we hire? Well, um, let's look around and see. And, 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 you know, they're obviously willing to spend some money, but that doesn't mean that the person they spend money on is going to be the right fit. Whereas I think most MLS clubs take it from the other, the other side of it. They go, well, we can't, we can't, we're not going to be able to find a replacement who knows the league as well as the guy we currently have, regardless of what his record is. Or we, or we, we, uh, we don't want to spend the money on buying out this current coach and then bringing in a new one. So it, it certainly, I think it's just a big shift. And I don't know that we'll, see anybody else follow NYCFC's footsteps. But I think it's fascinating for us as, as people who cover MLS week to week and year to year to see this new wrinkle in it. I, I, I don't have any names either. I think Patrick Vieira would probably be the guy they bring in, but I don't know what that, I don't know what that does for the club in terms of building their, their identity, Christian. Exactly. That's the thing as well. Is, is what does it do for that larger picture? Because let's be very blunt about this. NYCFC got a lot of things wrong in terms of its image in the first season. The Lampard situation, there was a whole host of, of issues that didn't serve to that club well in terms of building its identity. And I think at the minute, it still doesn't really have an identity. Bringing in Patrick Vieira almost just strengthens the bond towards City. And I think it's fair to say that some fans actually want to separate that bond and sever that bond in a lot of ways because they want their own identity. And I completely respect that because that's what they were promised when this football club was uh, produced. I also think you're, you're spot on in saying that actually resources or the amount of resources that they have have partially dictated this dismissal in the sense that they can afford to go out. Sometimes I think it's better to ride through things. We, we touched on Ben Olsen there, for example. I also think you look at someone like FC Dallas, who 
took someone in Oscar Pereja who knew the club, had been there before, could then come in and benefit. I think he'd worked at the club in a coaching capacity as well. Someone that, from what I understand, was quite influential in Fabian Castillo's development, on a professional but also on a personal level. I think you need someone like that. I think you need someone that knows New York and the state of New York and, and all that kind of thing because yeah. the one thing I hear about consistently when I talk to players is that there is so much talent in New York and New Jersey. I've heard uh, Aleko Eskandarian say it. I've heard Giuseppe Rossi say it. Even Bob Bradley's touched on it, saying that there is a lot of talent in that region. Now, Bob is about to leave Starbeck. I'd be tempted to throw mm. the money at him personally and say, look, I appreciate you've got this European dream, but come and build something with us and we'll make it so that once you're done, you'll get that big European move. Because you could argue that City have got that power in, in terms of opening doors, in terms of having connections. And I just think someone like him, he gets the league, but he also has a, quite a strong European mentality because he's worked there, he's succeeded there. He's also done it on a budget with Starbuck, which is the most important thing. He's elevated them with a lot less resources. So giving him you know, a full pot of money in that sense, I think would do wonderful things for them. But it's whether they can convince him to, to abandon Europe and he's, he's worked so hard and now seems to be getting greater opportunities as, as a consequence of it. It would be a fantastic uh, hire for NYCFC, while at the same time I would be a little disappointed to see him leave Europe and I'm sure that you know he would have to really uh, wrestle with that with that uh, that issue of, of turning away from from a European dream but yeah the, you probably couldn't do any better than that higher Christian Hennage joining us on soccer morning on a Wednesday we've covered so many topics we could do so much more but I'm gonna let you go Christian brilliant stuff as always thank you so much make people go follow him on Twitter uh, k-h-e-n-e-a-g-e there you go Christian I got it out first time Thank you, mate. Pleasure to talk. There, there goes uh, good, good Christian. Good stuff from him. All right, let's uh, wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. Thank you very much to everybody who called in. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Soccer Morning at DavisJSN is my handle. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with another edition of the program. We'll talk more about the Champions League, the fallout from today's games. We'll certainly look ahead to the weekend with MLS and the big playoff matches. There's always something happening. In the world of football, soccer, calcio, flirt ball, whatever you want to call it. We'll see you then. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every cursive letter. Tell me why the hell no one is here. Tell me why.